Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From both snowy and covid Minnesota, it's election shock therapy. Still dealing with the shockwaves, the 2020 election. I'm Chris Moore, and joining me here in this Google Hangout are Andy Bramson and Matt Kukum. And you forgot to mention it's also sunny too, so that's that's it's good. Also, what? It's also sunny, so that's nice. It's um, not just COVID. Yeah, when I when I took the job here in Minnesota um, many moons ago, my dissertation advisor recommended a good pair of sunglasses uh, for my for my introduction in Minnesota. It said it was cold but very very bright and for so real. Yes. Um, Yep. I'll, I'll take cold and very, very bright these days. Yes. Yep. So, um, gentlemen, we just have a couple things to chat about today because not a lot has changed in the electoral landscape since last time we talked, which is to say Joe Biden has still won the election. Yep. <laughs> and um, only, only approximately 0.5 more states have been called for uh, uh, for the election. <laughs> I say 0.5 because uh, now almost all media outlets are calling Arizona. And so yep. Arizona had been called by Fox as recently as election night, but um, New York Times just called it in the last 24 hours. And so yep. Arizona has now been awarded to Biden very, very, very close, um, approximately a quarter of a percentage point difference between the two uh to vote totals but right but still that's still tens of thousands of votes and therefore unlikely to be overturned by a recount right. uh georgia north carolina still remain uncalled oh and i forgot uh new york times is also called alaska <laughs> so if you're yes. wondering if there was some sort of hidden group of democratic voters uh, staging some kind of a coup in alaska no it's still a, a, a deeply republican state and dan sullivan's gonna win re-election uh so congratulations to our own dear and beloved sarah bilesma uh the um that was a job Yay. But there might be other coups. We're going to get to that in a minute. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about transitions. So this last uh, this last week, in addition to ongoing uh, contentions by the Trump campaign that there is widespread voter fraud, and we want to be very clear here, we have no evidence that there is widespread right. voter fraud, and people are looking for evidence that there is widespread voter fraud. Right, uh, but we nothing has been found. Uh, there are have been a few other things happening in in public life. The bigger, to my mind, more important one is the difficulty over beginning the presidential transition. But there is this other issue, which has gotten conflated with that, which I want to address first. Over the course of the last couple of days, a number of uh, uh, Trump officials, uh, Trump administration officials, including the Defense Secretary. Um, have been terminated. Donald Trump fired uh, Mark Esper, the Secretary of Defense, by tweet. Uh, I assume there was also paperwork involved, but it was announced by tweet that he would be right. leaving his position. And several other uh, senior officials of the Defense Department were also um, dismissed. And there was a um, announcement on Tuesday afternoon that uh, Anthony Tata, Ezra Cohen-Watnick, and Kash Patel, all of whom are Trump uh, 
Trump team loyalists, these are not career Defense Department officials, but rather people aligned with the Trump administration, have been promoted to key roles in the Defense Department. Now, what's going on here? Uh, there was a, there was voices on the left who had an immediate freak out about this, that saw this mm -hmm. as Trump preparing to um, use the military in some kind of way in sort of a, an, um, an autogulp. I think I'm saying that right, Andy. That's Spanish. Mm -hmm. Can you help me out there? Is that autogulp? I don't speak Spanish either, but yeah, Aragope, I think. Is Aragope, it. Um, which is basically a self-coup. Uh, you, you're holding power, but you throw um, you throw a coup on yourself to consolidate power even further and undemocratically. And it seems very clear this is not the case to me. Uh, there, was there had been rumors well before the election that Mark Esper was not in good graces with the president and that the president right. might fire him um, regardless of the outcome of the election. Uh, Esper had really lost Trump's favor when he uh, refused to support the president's position on tear gassing protesters in Lafayette Square when the president uh, during the height of the um, George Floyd protests, and so uh, that was a um, that was a significant issue uh, between the two of them. But they're, they're, the question is why why do this now and why replace some of these other key yeah. officials inside the Defense Department with? Uh, uh, with, with Trump loyalists, um, I think there's 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 two there's two readings, and I'm not sure which one is true. And I'll throw these both at you, and I want to see if which you which one of these two things you guys buy. Uh, the first one is the first explanation is that um, the various members of the Trump team, people like Tata and some of these other official people who are sort of Fox News pundits, well liked by Trump need to have something to do in a post-Trump presidency. And one way to ensure that you have a, um, a, a longer-term career option is instead of leaving the, leaving uh, D.C. when the Trump presidency ends, is you appoint them to a long-term position in the Defense Department. It's a cushy government job. This is going from an appointment-level position to sort of a career-level position. And there's a term for this in, in D.C., and it's called burrowing which sounds very cute, uh, but basically means that you sort of try and insert your, um, your, um, your preferred party officials uh, more deeply into a, into a bureaucracy that they, so they can stay there long term. If that sounds like the deep state, well, there you go. Um, yep. The other option is, I think, a little bit more benign and a little bit more haphazard, which is simply that um, Donald Trump didn't want to la last out his days at the end of his um, presidency with people who had offended him. So this is sort of the uh, Michael Corleone settling all scores kind of thing. He'll dismiss Mark Esper and he'll elevate members of his own inner circle to these positions really as a way to give them a springboard to whatever their next thing is. So it's not assuming it's not burrowing. It's not some kind of um, uh, it, it's, it's just giving them another chance to get on to the next big thing. So, yeah. but either way, this is not a really coordinated strategy and certainly not coordinated with the election, but your thoughts on that gentlemen, is that do either one of those things ring truer to you? I mean, the first one seems unlikely just because wouldn't Biden just get rid of them just the way Trump got rid of these people. I mean, like I can't imagine why you'd keep Trump loyalists in the defense department if you're Biden. Right. I mean, right. and a lot of these appointments have been like, they've been promotions to more high level political positions, yeah. right? Um, which, you know, tend to, there's always turnover when there's a new president on those. Right. So, I mean, I've heard yeah. some theories like, well, basically this is a way of giving them um, a bigger title that they can, yeah. you know, 
the bigger feather in their cap that they can carry with yeah, them. Exactly. So that'd be option yeah. two. You said that that's, that's right. a better version of option two. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. And that, that seems more right. I mean, I think there is maybe a third way to think about this, which is to say the whole thing is, and it's probably maybe it's a version of uh, version two, but it's just that Trump is reactive. Trump is, he likes to have attention, right? Like the fact that Joe Biden's getting attention um, for being the president elect, like one way to get it back on yourself is to do dramatic stuff like this. And so um, to me, that's, it's kind of that version of two, uh, version two, where it's like, it's both about settling these scores and it's also about getting the spotlight back on yourself. Um, um, and it's yeah, also, I mean, this is... thing, it's like, I'm still, my administration's still alive. Look, I'm still firing people, right? <laughs> I'm still Trump. You know, I'm still the, the guy who runs the apprentice. You're fired, right? I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> this, right. Is Trump. Right. this is the epitome of Trump, right? Firing yep. people yep. who he doesn't like, right? And I, and I don't, I don't want to freak out about this because I actually think that the left has freaked out too much about this. But there is a bit of a concern of instability within the national security establishment is itself a problem for presidential transitions. Uh, Jeff Blaney, the Australian historian, has written a great deal about this, and I find his work, you know, really compelling. But basically. Um, other countries look at pre at regime transitions as a as a time of weakness and perhaps a time to act aggressively. And when you're further um, uh, creating chaos and 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 lack of experience in your national security establishment, that might increase those. And so it, it wouldn't surprise us perhaps to see maybe some of our more revisionist or revanchist um, uh, foreign policy actors take this opportunity to undertake actions, right? Potentially Russia or China, or even countries like Turkey or Syria, Iran, even Israel, uh, might see this as a time to not only slide things past the outgoing Trump administration, but test a new and, uh, not well organized incoming Biden administration. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you for my foreign policy minute, guys. I felt good to get that off my chest. Yeah. Feel really good about <laughs> good. it. Feel 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 nice to. We're, we're uh, glad you're here to tell us these things. So. That's right. Um, let's talk about what's been happening with the election itself. So, Matt, can you give us a quick update of where we stand? Okay. Yeah. So, so a number of cases. Um, so, I mean, the Trump campaign um, and surrogates have brought a number of cases into various courts across various swing states that. Trump has lost, notably not the case, not the states that he's won, um, and a number of these cases have been closed. So they have either been tossed out. You know, the judge has said, you know, the the relief that you're trying to get in the court is not valid. Um, there's been a few small sort of Trump victories, but most of these have involved like tossing a handful of ballots that hadn't even counted anyway, right, or included in the vote total, um, like in Pennsylvania, for example. So, so none of these have made even a dent in Biden's margin of victory in any of the states in question. There's some bigger pending cases especially in Pennsylvania, which is really sort of the state that Trump would need uh, a, you know, the results to be overturned. Um, so there's one major case before federal court, um, you know, it's seeking an order that prohibits the certification of the election results in the entire state, right? Um, because of allegations regarding inconsistencies of ballot curing, um, observation of the vote counting procedure or mail ballot eligibility. Um, and all of these things, you know, even if there, there's been very little evidence that there's been any real problems in these things. Um, but even if that was proven um, sort of a meritorious relief, that's a legal term, right? The relief um, is not overthrowing the results of the entire election in the state of Pennsylvania. It's dealing with, you know, the particular inconsistencies where they exist, not asking a court to toss the entire result, right? So it's just absolutely massive overreach. Um, and in other cases, the lawyers for the Trump campaign have contra 
contradicted Trump and said, well, there's actually not any fraud here, Judge. Uh, we're just asking for these particular inconsistencies or errors to be ironed out, right? So there's some Trump lawyers that are saying like, hey, this actually isn't real fraud. So, um, so the Election Infrastructure Government Coordinating Council, that's a mouthful, and the Election Infrastructure Sector Coordinating Council, um, executive committees, basically, these are groups of state um, and federal election officials basically issued a joint statement saying that the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. Quote, there's no evidence of any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. We can assure you that, they, that we have utmost confidence in the security and integrity of our elections, and you should too, end quote, right? Um, these are officials from across the fruited plain that have said, you know, we've looked into this and there are no, and Democrats and Republicans, mind you, and said there right. is no right. systematic, you know, attempt to sort of rig this election. Yeah. You can be confident in the results, right? Yep. Yep. And, and that seems right. I mean, like, when you look at it, just like there's, you know, you, you've had all these allegations, right? But in terms of actually bringing forward any, forward any evidence, there has been none, right? Um, no, no, nothing other than kind of allegations that when you dig into them, are you know claims but not substance yeah i mean just a, a few things to keep in mind here and, and you know we'll probably move away from talking about you know this at some point in the next week or so but just a few we final so. things to keep in mind so mm -hmm. you know errors and inconsistency and sort of small time fraud does happen right yeah. and you get errors and inconsistencies in every large statewide election this is normal right, right? but it usually right. affects only a very small number of votes a lot of times all of this is caught in the in the process by which which states basically double check and canvas um, and certify their final results, right? Um, and the existence of these isolated incidents, even of fraud itself, um, does not prove that there is systemic massive fraud that changes the election outcome. So you can point to like, aha, you know, this dead person, you know, voted in the election, right? Well, you can't therefore say like, well, the whole thing is wrong. We should toss the whole result and assume that it goes for one candidate, right? right? So systemic fraud is just really difficult to do. And to get away with, you know, large criminal conspiracies usually fall apart because people talk or someone spills the bean, right? <laughs> and our highly decentralized system with numerous checkpoints and observers just makes this really, really difficult to do on a widespread basis. Um, and, you know, the belief that there is widespread systemic election fraud and that the whole system of, is rigged is due to a couple of things. First of all, um, Trump has been priming people for years to believe this. Second, you know, some media outlets and some Trump surrogates and Trump himself have been basically selling outright lies about this. Um, and then third, there's just a basic lack of knowledge about how our election system works. Right. Um, you know, like it's important that you know that when precincts are reporting totals to the state. Right. Every you know, all the ballots are counted at the precinct level when they're reporting totals, totals to the states to the state, you know, secretary of state that then publishes the results. They aren't merely inputting information into a computer and then that computer can then sort of um, magically sort of change the numbers what happens is every precinct will also print out the results post the results in the room which the democrat and republican observers get to see right and that's the same number that's input into the computer system right so they can see that and then the a copy of these results is basically hand carried delivered to the secretary of state's office and then the paper version and the electronic version are checked, right? And it's the paper version that is used to finally help certify and validate the election results, right? So, so even if the computer system were hacked and rigged, right, um, you can't, because there's a paper trail all the way through the process, right? I mean, even, right. you know, 
there's a paper trail all the way through that is checked. Like the allegations that there's a supercomputer out there that somehow magically changing all the results is just bananas, right? And if you know how the system works, you know this is impossible, but there are people out there who, you know, have run for office, who know how this works, who are basically, who know better, that are basically yep. selling lies about this stuff. And that's yeah. just really disconcerting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's dangerous because it's undermining the system. It's undermining the, the confidence in the system. And as you point out, Matt, I mean, for, you know, no good reason. It's one thing to undermine it if it's, in fact, there's something going on. But in this case, it's just, it's false, right? Um, and that's a very, I think, good explanation for why it is. I'll just say this to add, because I agree with what, what the two of you have said, but this problem existed before Donald Trump. It has been made yes. worse by his rhetoric, and it's been made worse by, frankly, more responsible members of the Republican Party who, for reasons that I can understand but don't agree with, are aiding and abetting him in, in continuing this uh, misinformation. But um, going back when I was a kid, we still joked no, I say I say we joke like like kids tell jokes about elections, uh, but there was it was still <laughs> you did yeah I did uh, it was still within popular culture to talk about sort of like the Boston voting machine right, um, right. and in Chicago and these other sort of democratic political oh. machines who would um, you know make the rounds of the local cemeteries and figure out who they who was still in the rolls and who they could cast votes for and pulling all the drunks out of the bars and, and shoving them in vans and getting into the polling places. <laughs> Right, I mean, like this is part of American yeah. pop culture. Like we right. have, we, we know stories about this, um, and I don't want to. I don't want to suggest, and this is not the place to do this. That 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 those machines never produced fraudulent voting systems. We're not denying mm -hmm. that. What we're drawing right. here is a contrast between local city level elections and something more akin, more, more like the national election process and the modern election process that we're employing. Right today. Those kinds of machine politics would not function well in our modern uh, system that Matt just described. Uh, we would we would catch those and it would be in both sides interest to surveil the results and to try to catch those kinds of errors. So in this way, I don't feel bad about both sides heavily scrutinizing the election. I don't think they should just blindly accept it. But I but I also feel like having been scrutinized, it is held up really, really well. And that's yeah. something that we should celebrate as Americans. Right, and then, and not make false claims about right. I mean, I think that's that's right. Like scrutiny is is always, I think, appropriate. Uh, make sure your system's still working. But once it is, don't keep like making up things and and throwing them out there as if they're true. Right, except that yeah, the system is fair. We won some races, we lost some races. Um, let's accept that. Let's congratulate the winners, console the losers, and move on. Right, yeah. uh, as opposed to continuing to pretend like we won when we back we lost. So let me actually uh, hone in right there, Andy, on that point of consolation. There was a, an unnamed source inside uh, uh, Republican, the RNC, who basically right. said, um, basically acknowledged, we know we've lost the election, but does yeah. it really hurt us to let the president kind of adjust to that information slowly over a couple of weeks? Um, and are we, is that, was that what's happening here? We have a bunch of people who like Matt said, really should know better. I and mean, I'll point fingers at somebody like Lindsey Graham, who knows how these systems work, but has continued right. to support really deep misinformation about the, the validity of the election system. Right. Is, this just a, is this just trying to ease the president into this uh, new reality that he will not be president next February? 
I kind of think so, but um, I, I guess and I'm he's just, his supporters too, yeah. right? That's oh, right. probably even more what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know, like, I guess so. The issue I have, and, and as you've already said, Chris, like, is I think there are ways to ease him in without vocally supporting nonsense, <laughs> right? As some people are doing, um, and that's what troubles me. But yeah, I think I think you do have to give Trump time to adjust to this, and I think. I think he is. I mean, like there's insider sources suggesting the president is starting to realize this, that he's already, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not convinced this is good news, right? But he's already talking about maybe running in 24 as a way of consoling himself. Like this might not be my last rodeo kind of thing. Right. Um, and, you know, so that those kind of things suggest that there may be that sort of coping with reality. Um, I think there are better ways some of these Republican officials could have handled that, that kind of, um, easing moment, but yes, I think there's probably something to that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think some of this has to do with with Trump. Um, some of this, I think, has to do with you know, really, if you're a member of of the Senate or the House, you're concerned of like, well, you know, and you're a Republican member, like, well, what do my constituents think, right? And when a hefty right. number of your constituents think that the election was um, you know, was, yep. you know, fraudulent or invalid or stolen or whatever, then I think the the bet is like, they want the process to sort of the, the litigation and the recount and the validation process to play out in hopes that perhaps, um, that in the end, enough of you know, the Republicans that were concerned, right, will be, um, have their fears sort of alleviated, right? But, um, but I think, I don't know, I think this is maybe miscalculation because you know, a lot of these Republican officials who maybe didn't go so far as to claim fraud, but who never pushed back against the unfounded allegations of fraud, um, you know, never came out and told their constituents like, hey, this is false information, never came out initially to reassure. And so this misinformation and the lies have taken hold. And I think a lot of Republicans are victims of lies that have been sold to them. Right. right. And, I, and I wonder if if Republican officials are delusional to think that in the end, they're going to be able to say, well, the process has played out and Biden won fair and square. Like some of this information has taken hold very deeply. And I don't think that once the process plays out that people, you know, who really believe that the election was stolen are going to believe differently um, once right. the states give their official certification. Right. Um, yep. So I, you know, the, train has left the station on that and, right. and they didn't try to stop the train from leaving the station. That, that's gone. Um, and and yeah. so that that's one of the things that, that worries and, and frustrates me, I guess. Yeah. And research has shown this, Matt. I mean, like, as you probably are aware too, right? Like, you know, we've researched, like, what happens when, um, you know, you give a false story out there, like in the news or something, right? And then it gets retracted, right? Um, and it people still will believe it, right? There's still that, it'll, it'll linger in the consciousness, right? And so I think there's, there's that that concern that even if they all end up saying like, yeah, okay, Biden won, right? Um, people still think like, yeah, but not really, right? There's, there's gonna be that lingering doubt in a lot of minds. Um, I, I am encouraged, like, you know, I mean, you sent around that story about the, you know, the, the fact that more Americans are accepting the reality that Biden has won, right? I mean, it's close to 80%, um, including, you know, um, majority of Republicans, right? And that's that's encouraging to see that we're at least moving that way. Um, it's encouraging to see that a lot of them are, you know, even 59% of Republicans were saying their local election officials are doing a good job, right? And are, are trustworthy. So there are some encouraging signs where I hope that we're moving in that direction, but I am concerned. Yeah, thank I think you. Knowingly by people are gonna linger. Yeah. Uh, can I uh, can I be Mr. Doom and Gloom just for a moment though? Please, fifty-nine percent of Americans trust their local election officials do their job honestly. We know yep. the country is sorting and becoming increasingly polarized, so we yep. would expect 
it's actually kind of depressing that only 59% of Republicans think their local officials are doing yep. well because they sure don't think the Democratic officials in those other places where those Democrats live are doing a good job, right? right. So um, right. that's actually really underwhelming to, to yeah. my mind. Yeah. I, yeah. No, that's fair. I have a, I, I want to I make you guys predict something. I, I got to tell you, I'm kind of feeling, feel my oats here a little bit. I, um, I'm a terrible predictor. I'm still holding on to the time back in 2006 when I um, finished in the top 1% of the NCAA tournament brackets for men's college basketball. I've never yeah, forgotten. Yeah. I've never replicated it. I don't care. One, mo one shining moment of glory. <laughs> so this year, I got 49 of 50 states right for the Electoral College. Darn you, Georgia. Um, of course, a recount could still throw it to Trump, and then I'd be perfect. But I got I, I, other except for Georgia, I nailed it. Now, yep. Um, I want to ask you guys. So far, so far, four Republican. We're not, not going to hold hold aside the Georgia seats, which are still being figured out. But so far, four Republican senators have recognized and congratulated the Biden victory. Their names are Murkowski, Collins, Romney, and Sass. Yes. No surprises there, right? Yeah. Um, all four of which have been some of the more critical mem uh, folks of the yep. Trump administration. How many Republican senators will congratulate or acknowledge Trump's victory? I'm sorry, Biden's victory by inauguration day. Mm. A lot of them, probably. I mean, so you already get some Republican lawmakers. Uh, who have been saying we need, you know, Trump is right to, you know, litigate and we need recounts and whatever. Yeah. But even some of those, including Lindsey Graham, interestingly, has are calling just within the past day for the transition process to move forward. Like, yeah, Trump needs to allow Biden access to this information and the GAO needs to sign off, blah, blah, blah. So, so even those people are saying the transition process. So I think they've seen the writing on the wall. They understand. Yeah. So I, again, I think some of what Republican senators are doing, even those who have, you know, supported Trump's litigation efforts are doing this, you know, primarily because they don't, they don't think that they should can short circuit the process and convince Trump and his core base that right. the election was was one fair and square right now. They're ho they're hoping that people will come to that conclusion. So yeah, I, I think by, by inauguration, I don't know, well over 50%, I would say, especially in the Senate. Okay, so you said well over 50%. There are 50 Republican senators right now in the Senate. There could be as many as 52, but like I said, I'm, I'm giving the two Georgia senators a pass. Sure. Out of I, out of fifty, um, I think I want to I want to put us all on the all on the on the record here, Matt. What is what is more than twenty? What is more than fifty percent mean? Are you saying more than? Are you saying twenty five? You saying thirty? Thirty five? And Chris, just to be clear, you're saying they congratulate him or they at least acknowledge it. They formally yeah. say Joe Biden has 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 won the presidency. They don't just say I'm going to attend the inauguration, but they actually acknowledge that. Uh, Biden was victorious in the election. They don't have to say good job, but they have to they have to acknowledge the fact, and it, or at least imply that they acknowledge that in a statement sure. that yeah. they've made. Yep. Oh, I would say 30. 30. Yeah, I'll go higher. Yeah, I mean, definitely could be higher. At least I think I'll go. I'll go forty. I mean, I feel like there's going to be some who are going to be recalcitrant. I I'm hopeful mm -hmm. most of them will come around and do that because they'll realize you know, what's yeah. I mean, what's the real upside to not doing it? But um, but some of them will probably fear their base and won't 
won't want to fight. There's going to be a cascade effect. So, so I'll, I'll take Mitch McConnell here as my um, canary, my Kentucky and canary in the mine shaft because uh, he has said he, he's carved out what I think is a really smart line. Of course, I think Mitch McConnell is very smart. Uh, but what, he, what he's carved out is basically saying um, we need to let this process conduct itself thoroughly. We need to count all the legal votes, which leads him space to say what votes are and aren't legal. And, and then we'll know, we'll be able to firmly say who the winner is. At some point, he can say, we've counted all the legal votes and Joe Biden is the winner. And when, when McConnell or someone like McConnell does that, it provides enormous cover for a whole bunch of Republican senators to follow on behind that. So I'm going to say 45. I actually yeah. am pretty optimistic here. I think there'll be about five or six holdouts who are, um, you know, really uh, Trump loyalists. And yeah. who will never do that, but and who will reap benefits for never doing that, and the American uh, electorate will suffer, and the democracy will suffer. But I think that that's, um, but I think it'd be forty about forty five. I would say it might even be fifty. Like who at least say in a statement, like when Biden becomes president, you know, like I'm going to blah blah blah, like thereby implying that yes, I you know, but that's not the same thing as saying like you won fair and square, right? So there's sure. there's a difference there. Definitely. Yeah. Um. <sighs> What, do uh, so, Andy. You mentioned Donald Trump potentially running in twenty twenty four. He'd be 80, 78. 78. The other big hot rumor I've heard of Donald Trump, and I don't want to speculate in rumors here, but I want to actually talk about the can. I want to do it with something even worse. We'll just talk about the convergence of two rumors. Okay. Um, <laughs> other big rumor of Donald Trump's post presidential career is that he will he will attempt to start a media empire, and I've heard yeah. multiple versions of this. One is that he's going to create the new Fox News. And then he's going to create the new Netflix, uh, but it would be sort of like a narrow, like Trump subscription news service. Basically, yeah. it'd be a, an online streaming version of Fox. Um, mm -hmm. And then the other one is that he'll come up with some kind of uh, a power sharing arrangement with Fox. He'll be, you know, a guest contributor. Maybe they'll give him their online presence. Uh, something, you know, some kind of uh, mutual deal. Yeah. If he does that, does that? situate him better to run in 2024 or does that actually create a, a, an alternate pathway away from the national stage away from the president away from the oval office at least um for for trump and what he wants to do it it could make it less appealing to run again i think in some ways especially i mean he's he's not a young man right he's pretty energetic for his age but 78's old right and we said this with joe biden and we'll say it with you know trump four years from now um he might at that point decide like it's more fun carping from the sidelines <laughs> than actually trying to go do, you know, the running of government. Um, and then you don't risk a second defeat, right? Which would also be not fun for him. So um, I think, you know, I, yeah, I could see that being a path away for him. Here's my, here's my thing. Now I'm starting rumors, right? But um, <laughs> how about this? Right? How about you replace the Republican presidential primary process with um, apprentice, president right in which Donald oh Trump yeah by which he chooses the republican nominee to be president right i mean like isn't this the next level like <laughs> you, you say this like it's a joke but i could absolutely see this happening oh, yeah. in no, three years you have you know uh mike pence and nikki haley and all these are uh fuming politicians yeah. who are discussed they have to do this but who are appearing either sequentially or at the same time in a yep. debate hosted by uh yep. trump trump flicks or, yep. or trump box or, or trump news yeah. max trump news. um <laughs> and uh 
and having to sort of you know bow before the great man and pledge their allegiance to his name and right. trying to try to get his voters. And I think yep. that's yep. a really legitimate possibility. Uh, yeah. And yeah. if anybody's sort of looking for perhaps potential model for this within the democratic world, check out Silvio Berlusconi, mm. who astrode the intersection of media empire and yep. a, a high elected office and corruption. There's a model here. We're just missing mm -hmm. the bunga bunga parties. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if we don't get like some sort of formal change, you know, significant change in the Republican primary process, you know, Trump sort of playing kingmaker, right? And giving yeah. his blessing or anointment or whatever you want to use, you know, to, you know, to, you know, the person that he thinks, you know, fits best, you know, thereby throwing his support and his, and his supporter support behind that person, you know, that could have an impact in the primaries. But a lot can happen in four years too. So, correct. Well, guys. Last look forward to. Uh, just a quick update. Uh, as the semester winds down, uh, we plan to keep up our, a fairly regular schedule of these podcasts. But as we get into the uh, the spring, um, we may um, begin to adjust our schedule a little bit to reflect uh, incoming news. But we're not going to stop podcasting election shock therapy. We've kept it going for over a full presidential administration now, and we plan to keep that going. So we'll be back in your feed uh, very regularly with uh, talk about politics and our role in them. You can always reach us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Uh, check out the podcast channel. You can email it at channel3900 at gmail.com. Lots of great stuff on the channel. Avatar with Academics, uh, Bookish at Bethel, Video Store, um, just a bunch of great stuff. So check all that out. Um, and uh, support my initiative to get Sam Mulberry to play Dungeons and Dragons on the podcast channel. Um, we'll, we'll make this happen. All right. Thanks for listening. On behalf of my colleagues, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. And until we're in your podcast feed again, go Royals.